Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. Today, we're going to be speaking about donor conception, selecting the right donor, the impact on the family, the impact on you. We're here with Dr. Lauren Berman. Welcome to Life, love, insight, fertility experiences. Today, I'm here with Dr. Lauren Berman. She is the founder of Fertility Psychology Center Atlanta and currently the chair of the Mental Health Professional Group with the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. And for those of you who listen to me often, you know how often I talk about ASRM and all the wonderful work they do. So to have the person who is in charge right now or the chair of the Mental Health Professional Group is fantastic. And she has devoted 30 years of her life really working as a clinical psychologist and focusing on reproductive trauma. We're gonna talk about donor conception and all of the implications. So thank you so much for being here today. And I am so excited to kind of share all the information that you have about this topic. And thank you so much for inviting me. This is so, so exciting. And I'm really glad that we're able to chat. Me too, me too. So I have a million things that I wanna to talk to you about because donor conception is, I must say something a little close to my heart because the people I work with, and I think I may have shared part of this with you, who have to go down or go down the donor conception, there's, there's this whole array of questions and, and um, decisions and, and concerns that are brought into the situation of now conceiving a child. And, and so that's why I really wanted to talk to you today because philosophies have changed over the years. Right, we were just chatting and 10 years ago or a little bit more, doctors suggested not telling children. Now today they suggest telling children. So where should we start with all of this in terms of helping people to feel a little bit more comfortable or just even understanding the dynamics? So did you wanna talk in general about donors or do you wanna talk specifically about using a known donor? Tell me, tell me how you wanna frame this and then I will jump in. Well, we could do it anyway, actually. There, I think we could talk on an umbrella level and then go down to specifics. So on an umbrella level, if we talk about kind of the, um, the shift and, and the emergence of donor conception becoming so popular and um, hopefully soon something that people don't feel a stigma towards when they, when they go through the process and feel a little bit more comfortable with. That's always been my goal is to kind of people, help people feel more normalized through this process. So if we talk about that shift, I think it might be interesting for people to hear a little bit about that, if that's okay. Sure, well, you know, sperm donation has been around for a very, very long time. Yes. And so some of what the artifacts of the donation process, like the non-disclosed, the parts where doctors advised women or, or and men, families to keep, this information from their children come from like long ago. Um, in art, um, so that that is an, a remnant or an artifact of the cult, how the culture was many, many years ago. Um, egg donation is a relatively new science. Yeah. So, um, so there are a lot of different, so we have approached it differently and sperm donation seems to have been catching up, which is great. Yeah. to the, uh, the rules around or the, the uh, way we handle egg donation. Do you know why they shifted? Do you, is there any real reason why the shift took place? In terms of openness and disclosure? Uh -huh. I just think our culture is much more open 
And within the last five years, you know, we have direct to consumer DNA testing. So there are no secrets anymore. There are no secrets. I know. And I, I discuss that with people quite often in my practice in terms of people will find out. So it's just a matter of really working towards being comfortable when you make the decision and when you conceive, because if we wait till after the birth of the child, it then becomes challenging. And um, I really see two separate journeys going on or three if there's a partner. So one is the, um, the person who is using the donor uh, sperm or egg. And the other is the person whose biological connection is there. And then there's the child. Mm-hmm. who only knows what they're told. That's and right. so we have so many, we have different journeys going on within the same nuclear family. And um, I think keeping a secret is different than keeping private. And then once you decide not to be private anymore, it's, I find for most people freeing in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have that same experience. You have much more experience than I do. For sure. And I think you're bringing up excellent points. Um, it's, When people come to talk to me about using a donor, what I try to get them to think about is the person who's not yet in the room. Oh, I have the chills. (laughs) Yeah, because they're usually when people come to the place where they're choosing donor conception, they are in a very, very difficult spot. There's been a lot of grief, a lot of loss, and a lot of frustration. Mm -hmm. So they're very fixated or focused often, not everybody, but they're often very fixated or focused on baby, the baby. Yes. Yes. And so what we want to do is help them widen their view to add the person who's not yet in the room. Yeah. And so how do you do that? Because that's a hard thing to do. I think sometimes just mentioning the person who's not yet in the room gives them a wider lens, don't you think? I do. I I think that very often. And what I find is most people struggle with two different kind of mixed emotions. And it's important to recognize there's so many mixed emotions that go on at this time, right? So it's this gratitude towards this person. And then there's this sometimes concern Mm -hmm. that they could do something the intended parent can't. Oh, you're talking about toward the donor. Yeah, toward the donor. For sure, sure mixed emotions toward that donor. But one of the, and you've done so much work with reproductive trauma and that all intertwines with this conversation. But now one of the new trends, one of the things I'm seeing more of, and you've seen quite a bit of, is that people are using relatives for donor conception. So they'll use a cousin or a sister or, you know, somebody who they know who is now part of that family. So how do you navigate that? That's a, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. That's a great question, Lori, because yes, people are, and, and it actually, I think the original egg donors, the, the very first egg donor was a sister. Uh-huh. So it is new technology, it's new ability, but there's, You know, if you think about it, if you go back to biblical days, we have the story of Abraham and Sarah, and then they bring in um, Hagar. Uh Maybe she was a gestational carrier, but maybe she was just an egg donor. 
Right, right, right. So for some people who don't know that relationship, could we just explain it a little bit? Sure. So Abraham and Sarah were elderly and Sarah was unable to conceive. And Abraham had a, in those days, called a concubine. And he took her into the household. He had a baby with her. And Sarah was partly raising that child as her own until she was able to conceive herself. Right. So now we're going back to the Bible. So this is something that's gone on for so many years. And now it's something that is, um, is here. So when we had talked, you showed me a picture of a family having a Thanksgiving dinner together. Right. So if we're talking about a sister to sister egg donation, for instance, I ask people to picture what Thanksgiving dinner might be like in the future. Mm -hmm. And the picture that the composite picture that I created was, was um, a grandma, grandmother and grandfather, and their two adult daughters, one adult daughter supposedly in this picture gives an egg so that or gives donates eggs so that the other adult daughter can have her children and both sisters have two children um, one sister has two teenage or young young adult children the other sister has two young children and those four cousins are sitting together but when we distill the genetic relationship they're actually genetically half siblings Right. So there's complexity to these relationships. And what happens when you're using a known donor is that you will need to think about, can you deal with those complexities? Can you sit with those complexities comfortably? Can you as a donor see these children only as, let's say, your sister's children and not as your children? Yeah. So that is so much to take in, right? It's just it's so much for anybody to take in. And um, I think just to break it down a little bit to help people with it, I find the people that I work with who have done this have a great deal of joy and gratitude towards their siblings who do this. Mm-hmm. And to have the person then think ahead to the child finding out and then explaining it, that takes the parent comfort and security Comfort, security, and also getting through their own grief. Yes, in the situation. Very often, um, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, I ask people to write a story to the child while they're in the belly, mm-hmm. to start to explain their story. That's actually why I wrote my book, because it was just from something that came out of my support groups. So it's just to help the mom to get comfortable with her story, or even the dad to get comfortable with his story. So. That's the first level, because if we fast forward 15, 16 years, I know there's a little rebellion that goes with with all children, but if you fast forward a little bit, those children know where the love comes from and the nurturing and the caring and why they're there. And they, they are able to understand that they're there because their mom who's raising them wanted them, <laughs> not because their aunt decided to be a donor. Right. That's a really interesting dynamic to take in. And that's a skill for the parent to be able to communicate, I think. Yes. And the, the, the earlier they communicate that, the more comfortable they become with that, the better it is for the children. 
By the way, I, I we, we skipped over this, but I, I loved your book. It is just okay. precious. And I think it does, it ex does exactly the job it needs to do. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for sharing with somebody who speaks Spanish. I was like, so excited when you told me. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad. I really appreciated having a Spanish version. So we have done studies and we have seen studies. I haven't personally done the studies, but we've seen studies of children who either found out on their own because secrets are very hard to keep, especially secrets about identity. Yeah. Or have been told later in life. Um, Susan Golombek, who you've interviewed, has done remarkable, wonderful uh, studies about this. And when we, do, when we look at these studies and when we look at this research and when we talk in one-on-one -on -one to people who have found out later in life that their donor conceived, we find that they are in shock, that uh, and you know the book Inheritance by um, Danny Shapiro. Um, she talks about her shock and and the the identity uh, crush that it had on her. Yeah, it shakes your whole world. Mm, it does. It, exactly. Wonder what else has been hidden from you through your life? Right. So then you question your relationship with your parents, perhaps that uh, that what can I not trust them on? Or how long have they been lying to me? What else have they lied to me about? And it mostly it shakes, I think many people get over that, but it mostly it shakes the foundation of who you've always believed that you were. Yes, and that's, that's so significant and profound for a person to do that. I was talking to um, a woman who is actually Mandarin and um, she was not conceived through a donor, but she was conceived through adoption. And she, she was adopted, her parents adopted her from a relative. And um, the Asian culture is one of, of, of a lot of privacy and a lot of respect in many ways. I don't like to categorize, but her parents were um, the very old world. And so when she found out, she said she was very taken back and very shaken, but then she took a moment and she understood why they didn't tell her. She understood why that other person wasn't able to raise her mm -hmm. and all the love her parents gave. I thought that that was the most remarkable quick transition I've ever seen or heard of. Yeah, yeah. Because it usually takes a little bit more than that. When the children find out and it's just part of their life, that's what it is. It's part of their life. That's what it is. It's part of their life. I uh, did a uh, Facebook Live event with one of the young adults who was in the, the uh, television show from several years back called Generation Cryo. Mm -hmm. um, so I did this Facebook Live event and I actually spoke with her. She's a, a local, an Atlanta young woman. She was born and raised here. And actually her, her mother was my son's middle school English teacher. Oh, wow. Such a so, small yeah. world. Small world. So she says she, she actually I spoke with her and her twin brother and they had, they had said that they were so comfortable with being sperm donor conceived that they would talk about it in class and their, their kindergarten friends, mothers would call their mothers and say, 
why are your kids talking about sperm? <laughs> so, they were just like so comfortable in their skin talking about it. Their relationship with their father is very solid. He's a mm. lovely man and they adore him. And, that's and wonderful. That, that's fabulous because that's their parent. So in order to have a child, it takes an egg, a sperm and a uterus. And, you know, I like to add a lot of love and desire there. And to know that you're part of that, you know, kind of conception and, um, and approval or desire to move ahead with it, regardless of the egg or the sperm, but just to have that child to love, that shows the intention and it shows how much passion and perseverance goes into that. So I, I know of a couple and um, it's the total antithesis of what you just said. And this is the gamut that we're running when we work with people, I find. That is the most wonderful story that you just shared in terms of the little ones going in and being excited about being a sperm donor baby. But I have another couple where they got divorced and the children are 10 and 12, I think. And the father wasn't able to conceive, so they used a sperm donor. And now the father is out of the house but part of their lives, it becomes very complicated when the children don't know. And so I had suggested, it was around Christmas time, I suggested that when they open up their presents for Christmas, they explain how they were the greatest presents. You know, just to begin to open up that conversation. But I think that was a, that's a wonderful way to introduce the topic. And, and the other reason why it's so important to tell the children from the start is because later on it the secret gets woven in and, and can be in a toxic way if there's tension between the parents the one who who is um, who was able to use his or her own gametes that's eggs or sperm can use that as a weapon mm -hmm. if there's if there's a, a fracture in that relationship and that that who is that most damaging to the children Right, because we have all these journeys going on. So I like to refer to it that way because the goal here was to have children that you love. And so you want to have them on that path. And it, it's so important. Now, the other piece that if you don't mind, we can touch on a little bit is having family and friends find out. Because I find that that's a challenge for people, at least initially, when they have to go through that. And I think... That, that circles back to personal, um, personal openness, personal comfort with privacy, privacy. What is your privacy zone? Because as you said, there are some cultures in which private, privacy is um, a wide zone. Like right. we don't share this with anybody. Um, someone from another culture told me that she was pregnant when her oldest daughter was a teenager and they never used the word pregnant in the house. And they did not share any information until she actually brought the child home, home with her from the hospital. So different, different people and different cultures have different privacy zones. So what is your privacy zone? And you may need to actually, if you're having- I'm sorry, I was just like kind of digesting it for a minute. That's really wow. an amazing story, right? That is, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. People do it, but people do it. And um, we have to accept it and then help them to move on from it or move forward, not on, but forward. 
Right. And, and we also sometimes cannot knock down the walls of someone else's culture. No, and we don't want to. It's so important. I'm so glad you said that because the cultural implications of all of this are so significant to take into account. And ASRM is doing work on that. Yes, I think so. Um, So uh, in terms of uh, another culture, uh, I do, I do find out when someone's from, was born and raised in another culture and they're having a child here in the US, I do raise the fact that I ask them, you know, do they plan to go back to their country of origin? Because that, that con- their country of origin may be a place where we, they, people don't share information. And yes. this is really close. Or do they intend to raise their child in the US? And I do plant the seed that when they raise a child in the US, U.S. is a very open culture, so they're going to have a child that straddles both cultures. The child will likely identify with the parent's culture of origin, but they will be raised in this incredibly open culture. That is really something to think about and important to to kind of weave into all of the conversations. And if the doctors can assist with that in any way, shape, or form, I think it really... um, makes a big difference. Yeah, and I think one of the things that um, ASRM members have done, physicians who are members of ASRM in the last 10 years or so, which is so helpful, is they ask each and every patient who is going to use donor conception to see a mental health professional because we have these kind of conversations and we help people do a 360 to open their eyes to some of the implications using a donor to build their family. Right, and the implications are there, but embracing them and understanding them helps you to be able to be comfortable with the process. So not listening to them or embracing them or thinking it's gonna be overwhelming. It's one way to look at it and it could be overwhelming for a while, but that doesn't mean you can't move forward with it. So one person that's coming to mind right now is somebody who was sitting in the room with a support group I was running actually. And she was like, I can't do this. How am I going to connect with this baby? And, you know, she felt horrible about herself. She felt like she wasn't good enough. And every single negative thought that somebody could have, she had. She delivered the baby that night. Can you imagine that night? And so connected with her baby that like second that baby was born, it was remarkable. It was really because she went from one extreme to the other. She, um, she recently had her second child through donor conception. So I give that story only because it's such an extreme example, but a true one. Yeah. Uh, the emotions people could go through and the concerns and allowing yourself to go through them prior to the birth is such a gift you can give yourself. Yes, I think that's spot on, Lori. That's exactly what I would, would, uh, would say. And also that people go through, they go through a roller coaster. Yes. Yes, they do. And, and when usually when a doctor says, I'm I'm thinking that egg donation might be, or sperm donation might be your best option. Mm -hmm. People feel shock. Yeah. And grief and anger and the whole gamut of that grief reaction. And then their feelings start to change. So they could, they may feel, start to feel more inclined. They may start to feel less inclined. They may start to feel less shocked and more open. So I 
recommend to people who come to see me to, like you said, allow themselves to experience the emotions, to process the emotions, and then to know that where they start may not be where they end up. Right. Absolutely. Because it's a journey. And that's why we use that word. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely agree with you on that. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that the uh, doctors are now recommending that people go and talk to somebody just to help them to understand the process and understand what's there. Even if they don't go back, even one meeting, I, I recommend more, but even one meeting to know that is, is really, really so important. And you also help them um, to identify or talk to or not talk to who it is it's donating besides a family member. I believe you do work with that as well. When they're using a known donor. So sometimes, sometimes there's an agency. Um, I've been working with uh, an embryo donation agency that matches couple donors on recipients. And typically when somebody's donating an embryo, they've created embryos through IVF and um, they maybe have created more embryos than they'll use to complete their family. And then they see meaning in those embryos sometimes for religious reasons and sometimes because, wow, this was a gift. We were able to do this and we want to pay it forward. So they will give them to somebody else. So, So I have facilitated meetings between the donor and the recipient so that they can coordinate how they're going to tell their children and they can coordinate you know, how they're going to communicate and how often it's really important that everybody goes into these arrangements with the same expectations. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful. I know you do a lot of work as an expert in reproductive medicine for different practices. And that's wonderful. It really is that you've been able to um, help all of these practices to understand the significance. It, it yeah. really is. And it's very satisfying for me as a professional to work with these patients who to help them really understand how to look forward and what this means and how this will imp- how will this impact their family and what it's like how children receive disclosure and what children go through it's very they they are very appreciative of the information they are and you see them go from one feeling and emotion and all these decisions to make medically and emotionally and socially, like every realm of life, and you see them go through it and then ultimately have what they want, you know, in terms of a family, even though the way they got it isn't necessarily the way they dreamed they would. So I love this field, I do, because you're really just kind of being there with somebody while they go through this this path and, and ultimately a family. And so, um, that's great. And now with, with what's going on with COVID, people are working remotely. And I was so excited to learn that you're also board certified in telemental health. So that was great because I haven't really talked to too many people professionally who have been. So I'm glad to, really glad to know that. Um, and then, you know, I really would, we don't have too much time left. And I know we really covered a lot of topics, but the one thing I thought would be important to touch on that you mentioned was the legal implications of all of this. And I really don't know that much about the legal implications. So anything you could share would be great. Okay, so I need to put a caveat there and that I am not an attorney and I never will be and I can't give you legal, give, give anybody legal advice, but I do always refer, if in a known donor situation, for instance, 
that let's say a sister is donating to a sister, a brother is donating to a brother. I also see where there's a, um, a gay female couple and one of the wives, um, her brother is donating so that the, her, the non, so that his non-sister, his sister-in-law can have a baby. So both, so all kinds of wonderful, I see wonderful um, known donation arrangements. Yeah, but I always recommend that they see two reproductive law attorneys. Two of them. Yes. I two. Well, just one for each. Yes. My, my lawyer friends tell me that if there are not two lawyers, there is no contract. Oh, that's fascinating, but yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Each yes. party needs to be represented. Exactly. And specifically when it is a known donor relationship, right? We want to make sure that each party does not feel like there's that they were underrepresented or that they didn't have appropriate representation. And when people tell me that they're going to use a sister or a brother or a friend or a cousin to donate eggs or sperm to them, I say, then this must be a precious relationship. And so what- I love that. I love that. It's absolutely true. I mean- You're right, it is. Someone is just an amazing, generous, loving thing. But what our job as, as therapists, as mental health professionals in this field is to do whatever we can to maintain that you know, precious relationship. Yeah. Have you ever met with the known donor and the, the recipient at the same time? So in other words, your sisters at the same time? Oh, for sure. So whenever somebody calls me and says, I'm, I'm going to use my sister as an egg donor. First, I meet with the recipient and her husband, if she's married to a man or her wife, if she's married to a woman, then I meet with the donor and their partner and then um, separately, and then we all meet together. And what's been great about telemental health is that we've been able to do this really easily now, not having to get everybody in the same room. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really wonderful. It really is because that's what you wanna do in any type of therapy to really be able to understand each party and understand what they need and have them understand what everybody's going through. So that's that sounds like a perfect way that this should be handled. And I hope that moving forward, many people are able to do that. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. You yeah. know, there, there are, there's a downside to it. There are complications to a known donor situation. Um, there is... Um, Sometimes there's heartache with that too. Um, sometimes there's family complications with that too. So, so our job as prof again, as mental health professionals is to not recommend that it go forward if we think that it's going to be damaging to anybody or the relationship. Yes, I, I agree with you. And also if it's a not known donor, but lots of times the person who is not the biological parent is struggling a lot with it to meet with both partners separately and then together to see where the partner whose biological connection is kind of just like a, a check-in mm -hmm. and how they feel about the other using the donor. Mm -hmm. If it changes the perception in any way, because in many ways I have found that the person whose biological connection is not there is the one who feels at least initially somewhat less than. 
in my experience, everyone ex has a different, um, different uh, feeling about this. Yeah, yeah. Feel this way, some people feel like there's that they've done with their grieving. They've done. They've come to a point of total acceptance. Right. And that's so important for people to recognize and the epigenetics and the fact that the baby wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them, because why would this child be conceived? They, they wouldn't be. So what a wealth of information. My goodness, I could talk to you probably for hours and hours. Um, so is there anything else you think that we should mention? Just for people to be aware of all the different resources out there for them. Yeah. There wonderful internet resources like Parents Via Egg Donation and the Donor Conception Network. Those are wonderful resources. And Varta, which is a wonderful resource. And then there are great books like yours out there for talking to children about donor conception. There are all kinds of children's books. Um, the uh, the uh, Parents Via Egg Donation just recently put out a book called Let's Talk About Egg Donation, which I love. Oh. So yeah, there are wonderful books, there are wonderful websites, and ASRM.org and the Mental Health Professional Group website also has resources for people who are trying to go through this. Yeah, and a lot of the people, I have to say, in, your, in the group that you chair are very involved. There's a huge dialogue that goes on all the time in terms of if resources are needed and how to connect. And, you know, the chat that goes on there is a daily chat. And I so am appreciative of it. And lots of times I'll back channel people in order to just connect or, or provide some information that I'm not sure is helpful for the group, or, but for them, and that goes on. So thank you. Thank you for all the work that you do with that. Very much appreciate This has been so much fun, Lori. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, thank you. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you, is there a way that they could do that? Yes, I have a website, which is just simple, laurenberman.com, and they can reach out to me through that website. Thank you so much. If anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at laurimets.net.